This part of episode 8 surrounds exhibition process, curator vision and visitor experience. We talk about a range of priorities, tangible and abstract notions, the dialogue that starts when collection items are placed near each other, and the narrative or story that exhibition curators are seeking. Part 1 and 2 of this episode has already been released, but it doesn't matter which order you listen to these episodes in, or indeed if you wish to pick and choose. The first episode introduces you to the range of roles that Bianca has undertaken and her advice for those wanting to get into this sector. The second part focuses on some examples of the type of exhibitions that have been put on by the university and the fact that they are free to access. How you'd sort of said that the the physical exhibitions are, are booked up calendar wise for a while. How far in advance are these exhibitions planned? Uh, so our program is probably programmed to 2025 based on um, our a little bit of our backlog from COVID. Obviously, we um, a little bit behind in our exhibition schedule. So we are looking at um till 2025 at the in the first instance things do change from time to time a lot of our projects are funding um dependent and so um we do have some some small changes here and there um but generally the reason for planning in advance is is twofold and it's one is that we only have the one space and we do two exhibitions per year so as soon as we have two exhibitions in one year um we have to start moving to the next year and so very quickly those very small number of slots can be filled up we do take proposals not just from our own team but obviously external proposals from staff at the university and sometimes students so we do get a number of really great project ideas and we just don't have space to accommodate them Um, we do also have to factor in that if we want to loan anything from other institutions so we've just had a really big exhibition over the winter period, Adina Athena, which had a number of international loans. Oh, it had a couple of international loans from Greece, and then we had loans from the rest of the UK. And those take a lot longer to coordinate because obviously we're working with other institutions. There's a human element. We do have couriers that bring the objects and they come and see them installed and deinstalled. And so there are a lot more people to manage and making sure our facilities are up to scratch for those institutions and lots of documentation and paperwork. And those things take time. And the more uh, loans that you have, um, the more time it takes. So we do work quite in advance, I would say a minimum of two years if there are those kinds of considerations. But also collections sometimes need conservation to be put on display. And depending on the availability of our our great conservation team, we slot in their work within their work plans to have things cleaned. Sometimes it's as simple as that, or maybe it needs to be rehoused or reframed. And so these are all considerations that go into making an exhibition and they take longer than you think they would. Um, Ideally, we would also document all the objects that go on display. So we would do some photography, it's a really great opportunity to do photography for a collection, perhaps if any, if some of it hasn't been done already. And I think also we want to supplement some of uh, the work that we do or support some of the work that we do specifically in, in program development. So we also want to develop relationships with great partners across the city or perhaps other institutions for whom that exhibition might be relevant. 
and make sure that we have them on board and they can maybe be involved in workshops or maybe they help us do some talks, that kind of thing. And again, working as soon as you bring more people into that picture, uh, the time you need a, a lot more time to do that, especially with different people's schedules. And the summer period, lots of people take vacations. So you always have to account for annual leave. So that's currently our project timeline for physical exhibitions. Digital exhibitions can be turned around quicker, especially if material is digitized already. But I am the only member of staff that manages it at the CRC presently. And so I can only do one at a time. So I think the, that's more of a, a human resource aspect to the work that we do there. And also, if the material isn't digitized, we do have our uh, colleagues who work in digitizing collections, and they also have a number of other projects on the go. So it's something that may require a couple of months um, lead in in order to digitize new material for exhibition purposes. And it's something that I'm trying to document and make more publicly available because I think there is appetite to do online exhibitions, but maybe not so much an understanding of other sort of the practical implications of putting together a project like that and just making sure that I'm not working on site when someone wants to deliver an online exhibition um, is is the only challenge of being in a hybrid role is that you can't actually be in two places at once. So it is uh, just about finding balance and trying to use a Gantt chart really effectively, which is very important to my work in order to make sure that I can manage those sort of competing deadlines sometimes or priorities between my two spaces that I manage. Mm. Uh, you sort of said about inquiries. Is there a process to go through when it comes to pitching an idea for an exhibition or being contacted by another department? I'm just kind of aware that you said that it's it, it's kind of just you in a way. Yes, as a team of one, I think it's a it is a challenge because I, I both want to welcome diversity of applications, but also conscious. We can only select and deliver a small number, but just the only person who works on exhibitions with support from the other teams, but also because of space. We do want to make this information more publicly available so people have context for the spaces that we have, including our digital space um, and what's required to propose for those spaces. So I have some documentation that has been prepared to basically encourage people to see the value of our hybrid program so that maybe a physical exhibition won't be possible but to understand that they could ver are very welcome to use our digital space so allowing people to see the pros and, con pros and cons of each including a public program which is not an exhibition but could be a series of events or talks and things like that as as an alternative to an exhibition because not all ideas should be exhibitions and I th think by Allowing this information to be made more public, it allows for some transparency. Not everyone knows that we have a space and that we do take proposals, and that's a shame. I think we would like more people to know about it. So I think it's just about uh, providing the information and the process. And essentially, it is an expression of interest, is just to make sure that we're on the same page, that this is even a project that should be in an exhibition space that we manage. For example, we generally don't do exhibitions that don't have our collections because we manage the mm. space and they should heavily feature university collections in the first instance. Some exhibitions obviously are people wanting to put things on display that aren't in the university collection. So we would probably not look to do to include projects like that. We obviously work towards university strategy and so there's some key pillars there that we would also like to realize in our program. So the expression of interest is an opportunity just to 
help people who might not know what an exhibition really entails understand that maybe this isn't quite the right thing for them. And so before they go to all the trouble of a formal proposal, we can have a really frank conversation about in what way we can really support, best support their project. And then if we think that the idea does meet all of those aims, uh, the strategy, university strategy that uses our collections that allows us to achieve some of our internal goals too, we would then invite them to do a formal proposal, which we would do together because not everyone's made an exhibition before. So we don't assume that they would know all of the moving parts of what an exhibition, all the moving parts of an exhibition and what it actually takes to put one together. And it, it's a basically a conversation that we have together. And it's a really good reference point for when we develop the exhibition and deliver it. Do we meet the objectives that we set out in that document together? I think it's an important step in our process that we want to really formalize, especially when it comes to evaluation and reporting, is if we set out to achieve something and we know what those are from the get-go, then we can understand if we are successful. And if we weren't, really learn from that and make sure we make exhibitions that are better at achieving those aims. Mm. I don't know if this is a way to describe it, but do you feel like you're bridging the gap between these these people that c come with ideas and the visitors that will end up seeing it? Yeah, definitely. I think that we, as professionals in engagement, which is what we bring to uh, as a service, is to help um, any of the people that we work with. So it could be my own curatorial colleagues, it could be academics or students, understand the resources they have available to them. So whether it be our exhibition spaces or even the expertise that comes from our engagement team to help them realize their research projects in a way that's meaningful for the public. So we do have a responsibility to um, make our collections accessible and not all exhibitions in their first uh, draft might be that for the public. And so we would work with them to make sure that they these projects thrive and they're very successful. And we are we are definitely mediators between that. And it can be difficult because scholarly research is very important. There will be a scholarly audience, but we don't just cater to that audience. So we have to perhaps provide layers of interpretation so that those with more subject matter expertise get something from that project, as well as people who might not know anything about it. It is really challenging. But it's a challenge that I enjoy. And it's sometimes, as I said, the layers can come from providing tours. It can be come from other places. It doesn't have to just be the text that you see in the exhibition. There are many ways to engage with an exhibition that's not just labels. I think that's something that uh, really trying to share that with the people I work with is to understand it's not just a catalogue and it's not just the labels. There's a lot more we can do to engage with an exhibition and bring it to life. And that can be definitely tailored to different audiences that we work with. I really want us to also have exhibitions that are relevant to schools and to students. And we'd love to have more of them come in. And a lot of the students have said that they will come if it's more relevant to the work that they're doing or maybe to their professional development. So we think very carefully about how we can use that exhibition space to support teaching, but also maybe to support other skills development too. Um, so that's something that we ask a lot of the space, I, I suppose, in many ways and of our service. But I think it's only a pleasure to do that. And I think when we see 
project is successful and I can have a curator or someone come to me to to say they've had these amazing responses, I think we all get a lot out of it. And so it can be hard work and it can there can sometimes be conflicting priorities from the different people working on an exhibition. But I think when we get it right, there's definitely a mutual sense of achievement there. And it's a it's great to be to see that and be involved with that. Mm. Just on the topic of some kind of conflicting priorities, with all your experience of the different exhibitions that have gone on, have you, I don't know if you have any words on sometimes the gap between a creator's vision versus what the audience walk in and, and see for themselves? It's definitely a, a difficult area because uh, we have lots of different stakeholders in the exhibition. So you might have a funding, so maybe a funder or a donor who is very involved. You might have a school. You might have an external funding body that we've gone to directly. Uh, we may have community participants. So we have people from very, very different perspectives who might all have different expectations of what they want to see in an exhibition. And I think this is a challenge for all institutions. They all face a, a similar issues is... Um, it does exist. And I think it's because um, particularly in a university where we have a really strong academic community and a lot of the work we do is to support, as I said, research. We're not like other museums. So we have a slightly uh, different challenge in that we have a, a very learned community that would expect to see a level of um, I suppose, scholarly research on display. And that same level of scholarly research is just not going to be accessible to an you know average member of the public. So it definitely exists with all projects. And I would say that the way that I look to sort of mediate between those different groups is to have a common understanding and to try and develop what that is very early on before we get to a point where, you know, we have conflict of the direction of a narrative. So the exhibition narrative is essentially what it is, is what story are we going to tell and who's that story for? And I think if you can express you know, the, the facts of successful exhibitions, I try and use data in those instances. So we can look back on historic exhibitions, the approaches that were taken and which were successful and which were less successful. I think using data is a really powerful tool in my work because it's not personal. It's purely about numbers. And we do have a footfall counter. So it's uh, it does track the number of people that come into the exhibition spaces and what days they come in. And it helps me because it just it's just evidence that these exhibitions did really, really well. For example, Dolly, which is an exhibition that predates my role, was you know one of our most popular exhibitions, and it had a really big champion in the school that was involved in that exhibition project. So having other champions, and so not just the CRC, but having other people really shouting out about an exhibition is super, super important. So you want stakeholders that are invested and who want to share just as much as you share that exhibition to get people through the door. But also it just it's something that people were interested in. You know, Dolly is such a key in the history of like of, I mean, the sciences and the fact that it's such an Edinburgh-based story. And we even have the display case that Dolly was in that is still called the Dolly case. So that's the case that I moved this morning with the pallet trucks is that it was made, you know, made for Dolly when she came to spend some time in the exhibition with us. That was just something that was so general interest and so popular. And all our exhibitions can be like that if we if we want to. So using an exhibition like that, that still has a research you know, element to it, that is still it's it's sciencey. It's it's but it's also history. And I think it shows that done well, people will come. 
So, mm -hmm. and using that as a case study to say, this was really successful. Let's build on that success and let's develop something that's unique to your project, but learns from, you know, the, the pros and cons of previous projects is the way I would probably approach that. And particularly when there are projects that, you know, people feel that they only need a certain group to enjoy it. And I think that's that's great. And sometimes we have space for that. So sometimes an online exhibition that's for a very small niche group that is perfectly okay, as long as we can see the conversion rate between the time and effort that went into that and um, people that are going to receive and enjoy it. So I think there is a space for projects that are maybe not for everyone. It's just probably not a physical exhibition space because we do want part of our some of our funding that we get for the spaces. It does need to be for the public. And I think it's an important space to show the work that we do at the university, not just to people who are at the university. So it's a it's a, a space between Edinburgh as a, as a city and its visitors, so its international visitors and the university, as well as a space for the university itself to communicate to them. And I think we should always remember that it's a, a meeting place between the public um, and those within our community. And it's quite literally at the threshold of the library. So I think as long as we make sure projects are in the right places and we can, I can really have open conversations with all of our stakeholders that um, will come to a a mutual understanding, I hope. And sometimes projects don't do well. And all we can do is look at them and, you know, understand why that is, look at feedback forms and really, really take that to heart and do something about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot about um, representation and the sort of spaces that are being created. I guess footfall is such a tangible way of measuring something. I was actually wanting to talk about tangible in a more abstract fashion because I wanted to bring up the topic of whether these collections at the university can be considered static collections or or whether these sort of tangible stored objects can be considered unfixed and developing or moving when they're put into these spaces or into these curated narratives it's quite a big topic to get into and I know that people have different opinions or perhaps would even answer this hypothetical question in different ways depending on the context but I wanted to ask you are, are there ways that you feel an exhibition can facilitate the way that these collections are perceived? From my own studies and um, in museum studies it's, it's quite a key topic and I really I found that as one of the most interesting areas of research that we had to do when I was training. I think that when it comes to any object, so some of the early research that I was really interested in thinking about the display, particularly of African objects, whether they be art or whether they be ethnographic or, you know, what collections they sit in. Some of the, trying to think of the name of the exhibition now, I might have to come back to it. It's a, an exhibition in response to the way that African objects are displayed. And it really showed that if it's displayed on a plinth in a white space, in a bright white space, it can be interpreted in one way. But if it's displayed on mass with similar like similar objects as they often are in sort of an ethnographic museum, how the context changes. And I've always remembered that. And I also think with the idea of storytelling, and as I said, as a journalist, I, a former journalist, perhaps I should rather say, is I, um, I do feel that there is a different angle for every object. And a catalogue record mm. for an object will have the basics. It might tell you who owned it, like what it was used for. 
but there are different ways to include an object in an exhibition. And one of the examples of the online exhibition platform that we had to think about is that, for example, if we have a book, but we're talking about the binding, that the book itself is not what we're interested in. It's the binding and the maker of the binding might be very different to the creator involved with the book itself, is that every object has these different layers of involvement of people, whether it's the person who owned it, the person who made it. And so I don't think objects themselves, I think they are, they're just full of stories. And I think there are different ways to to tell them and different people will tell that story differently. So whether I speak about an object, whether a curator does, or whether a student coming in, um, I think Art in Mind is, as, is a good example of the ECA student exhibition I mentioned before, had people from, not from our team, interpret the object and the things that they talked about. It's really compelling to listen to other people talk about our collections, students and staff who don't come from you know, heritage background and the language they use will be very different. It's really enjoyable to hear someone speak about objects in a completely different way that I would speak about them. So I think that exhibitions are an opportunity to activate collections that are otherwise in a store and just with a catalog record that has only sort of one story at that, at that stage. But once it's on display and it's next to a type of object, it becomes maybe a different thing. And that's why you might appreciate an object for its aesthetic appearance, for its technological innovation. So even, you know, things like pottery can are a form of technology, different types of, you know, pottery and the way that they're built and, and produced is it, you can think about each of these things in very, in sort of through a different lens. And that concept of a lens is quite interesting because it's something maybe we could do in the online exhibition where you could toggle between different lenses to experience the same object mm -hmm. from not just through different perspectives, but of people, but different ways of looking. Um, that term, different ways of, ways of looking is very common in our field. Um, so I definitely think exhibitions have that. And an exhibition at sp space itself will also change how you feel about an object. When something's out you know, in, on public display, maybe outdoors. Um, so we have a number of uh, works of public art on the campus itself and the way it's, it's situated, so situated in a building and the way that it might be in the CRC upstairs and the Binks wall, each of those different places will change how you feel about an object. And if you take objects out into communities, that certainly will change the context of that object too. One of the things that I think is really challenging is that objects behind cases are I would say a really hard thing, and it's something in museum studies we talk about, that they're kind of dead objects because you can't touch them, you can't smell them, you can't engage with them in the way that maybe they were intended. And so there is this really, while they are great spaces to activate collections, they also create a barrier between that person. And so you have to use the story, you have to use audio, you have to use other things to sort of kind of help with that space between the the glass itself and the object and books in particular struggle because you can only see one you can maybe see the cover or you could see one spread so open to a certain page but you can't see anything else and that sort of takes away from that object so with the caveat that it does present challenges exhibitions also limit what you can appreciate with an object and so they're definitely cool interactors that you know, try and work around these challenges, allowing you to page through the whole book, that kind of thing. But I do feel that, you know, with each, it is a great space for thinking about different ways of looking at the same object. 
but also presents different challenges. And so it's really great experience to bring people into stores, which we do from time to time through tours and through definitely through working with classes. Groups come to the CRC and see things in person and they'll have a completely different experience of those objects than they would if they were on display. So I think as long as we are showing these objects in different ways, whether it be through our visualizer, through doing it remotely and looking at an object with a curator one-to-one, or seeing it in our exhibition space or at a, through um, or through a digital exhibition, they might get some different experiences. And I suppose it's my job to evaluate what those experiences are. Mm, all the different gazes that you can have or barriers. Yeah, I think in a way that's quite similar to what we were kind of trying to do at the start of the semester with bringing all the voice members on board to write articles. And I was really adamant that the example of what would be an object of the month article versus a wooden spoon of the month article would had to be the same object because it had to show that it was it was a different lens or a different narrative, even though you were looking at the same thing. It was just prioritizing the object or the or the story attached to it. I think that the work with voice is exactly showing the different lenses that you can have on an object. And I think it's why we really welcome the work of the team and the the way that you will speak about an object will be so different to the way that myself or Laura or Ethan or any of our curatorial colleagues will speak about an object. And it's it's really important to have that. I welcome more voices in the collection and just trying to figure out how we can facilitate that more out with voice and, you know, out with our online exhibitions. I'm still only doing that with a handful of people is how to make that scalable is, I guess, my next challenge to invite more people where it's not just me helping facilitate the that storytelling, I think is really what I'd like to see next with our online work. Mm, yeah, like you're saying about the voice textiles and the, the art and mind stuff. So 2022, I'm going a bit off topic here, 2022 has been designated Scotland's Year of Stories. And I thought with your background in journalism and your experience in the various kind of stages of exhibition creation, that you might have some interesting thoughts about what good storytelling is or perhaps what you consider an exhibition. It's quite subjective and so you won't capture everyone with a, what they think is a good story. I generally draw on my sort of journalism experiences in my own interviewing of people is you might have to talk to someone for a little while before you can really uncover what is really, really interesting about an object, for example. And one of the things that I always find is when a curator does a tour of an exhibition, they will always tell you the best stuff. And for some reason, the best stuff isn't what you see on the exhibition panels or on the labels. And it's a strange thing is because we feel there's a a need to do what we've always done, which is to provide like really key information. And my own background and my master's research is in the use of fiction in uh, museums as a form of storytelling about objects. And so it's a controversial opinion that I feel that I feel museum collections are ripe for storytelling in a sort of creative sense and bridging the gap between what we know and what we don't know using fiction. But I do think that when it comes to any object, I come to dinner parties with all my fun facts because I learned so much about objects. And I know not all of it's interesting, but for some reason, there's just, there's always something and it's usually human. It's usually a human story. And we've, there's a lot of research in this that if you can associate obviously an object with a person and there's a really human story behind that, it will usually do better than other, you know, just this is an object and this is what it did. I think it usually does, is more successful. 
either teaching an audience or um, giving them sort of some sense of meaning or for them to take away from an exhibition. But I think exhibitions can be quite, they can be learning spaces for people. And I think that's really tough because stories are not always just about learning. They're just about this to uh, you know, experiencing something that's just really compelling and it can be a tough thing it can be a, a difficult subject that can leave you uh, I did go to Berlin and see a number of exhibitions that you know tell really really tough stories and they've stuck with me to this day but I feel it is um, the job of myself and the curators that I work with to think about what story we're going to tell it may not be the only one um, so to pick a story that will likely appeal to as many audiences as possible is a sort of our priority with exhibitions and I think that comes through conversation things that curators think are really great about an object are are going to be different to what myself and the engagement team think are really great the conservation team will tell you different things so I think it's about and sometimes that thing about the conservation could possibly be the most interesting thing about that object for the general public uh, so I think it's my job to sometimes be not too close to the collections to try and be a representative of that member of the public to say, I just don't think that's interesting. And it's a really tough <laughs> conversation to have um, with people who are truly passionate. I think all the collections are amazing, but they're not always for the purpose of display. Some collections are better suited for research. And so I think it's just storytelling is about finding something that is unexpected and curious or or maybe something that's happening now that happened a really long time ago and that we didn't realize is happening again. I think that's really relevant with, you know, the things that have been happening more recently. So much interest in the Spanish flu, for example, all of a sudden, because, mm. you know, suddenly something in history is so uh, relatable. And I think it's about trying to get those stories in at the right time is the easiest way to do that. It can be really hard when your timeline is two to five years. Yeah, totally. There's, your talk about fiction there there's probably some really interesting parallels or connections to the archive of tomorrow stuff that's coming with sarah thompson and um, alice austin all that stuff about misinformation and interest in health archives and recent history Well, actually, I know that the CRC kind of works hard to engage students at the university with the collections and, and tries to facilitate a lot of student employment. Do you have any opportunities uh, to perhaps volunteer or work with yourself through the calendar year? This year, we are welcoming some interns with us over the summer. And as part of the work of one of the interns who'll be working closely with me on the exhibition is we're going to recruit for volunteers for French to help us deliver daily tours of the exhibition and the month of August. And so that's something that we're I'm really excited about because I can recruit volunteers. But I think it's a really great learning opportunity for an intern to know what that's like to coordinate other people. It's a really important role that I have to do. And you get seldom have an opportunity to manage other people when you're just starting out. And people management is a big part of my role and many other people I work with. And it's challenging, but it's also really rewarding. So I'm really um, looking forward to seeing this person 
go through that process and then also open up the opportunity to more people who might be interested in this exhibition to get some experience of public engagement work. So we've never done daily tours before, so we'll see how that goes. But I think, you know, with it being exciting year for so many reasons and it's an exciting exhibition, I just want to be able to provide as many opportunities for people to engage more closely with the collection and with this exhibition and to do that through an enthusiastic team of volunteers. So if you're interested and have an interest in photography and are available over the fringe period, a recruitment call will be put out in the very near future. And so we would love to have you. Oh, exciting. Yeah. You've been listening to We've Got History Between Us. The guest was Bianca Packham. The host was Lily Mellon. The session was recorded on April 22nd, 2022. Episode edited by Lily Mellon. This was the third and final part of episode eight of We've Got History. Previous parts introduced Bianca Packham's career path and gave information on the physical and online exhibitions which the Centre for Research Collections at Edinburgh University provides. You can visit the Student of Light exhibition at the main library in George Square between May and September 2022.